The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to to this the last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. We give you thanks, gracious God, for the gift of worship. We ask that through our worship you may reorient us when other stories hold our hearts captive. And now, O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the earliest considerations of what it means to be a human being comes from the Greek philosopher Aristotle, 4th century BC. In his very famous book, The Nicomachean Ethics, he states that humans operate with a rational principle. He later goes on to state that this rationality is the defining trait of humanity. Now this picture of what it means to be human came to have enduring significance. And for much of Western history, humans have been considered to be rational animals. It's our rationality, our ability to think and to reason that sets us apart from the other creatures of the animal kingdom. Now, as true as that might be in some senses, you might be able to imagine, after thinking about it for more than a few moments, that there are many, many problems with this theory. At a very abstract level, when rationality is defined, respectfully here, of course, by old white men in ivory towers, 
rationality begins to look a lot like Western culture par excellence. And any deviation from Western culture begins to look less than human. Enter racism, sexism, most of the other isms that continue to plague our society. At a more accessible level, however, this theory has an even bigger hole. And as, in, as any one person soon learns from almost any interaction with literally any other person, humans are, probably more often than not, irrational. I mean, just take a good look in the mirror. We all do things that defy good logic. We all make choices, many choices that are less than rational. I've got a laundry list. You probably do as well. And if you can't see that in the mirror, then you'll just have to take my word as youth pastor. I've seen most of the teenagers present in our church family make some, let's just say, less than rational choices. And I'm positive that this tendency doesn't end when you turn 18. The problem is that while we might like to think that we act with our minds first and foremost, Experience teaches us time and time again that we act primarily with our hearts. It's our wishes, our desires, our wills that drive us around. And our money and our time and our energy tends to flow towards what we love most. And again, what we love isn't always rational. Reflecting on this reality, there's a theologian named James K.A. Smith. He notes that perhaps instead of rational animals, humans might more accurately be described as liturgical animals. Humans, more than any other creature, craft rituals around the things that we love. We, we practice liturgies, right? We, we worship. We tell stories. It's a human tendency, I think, to do so. Now, a liturgy itself is really just a reenactment of a story. The word liturgy means work of the people. Liturgies are working out stories, the stories that move and motivate us. Smith notes that to say that humans are liturgical animals is really to say that we are narrative animals. We are storytelling creatures. Our hearts and our imaginations are shaped by stories, and the narratives that we love guide our actions and direct our lives. Think about one of the earliest liturgies that we practice with our children, the bedtime story. Stories matter. Stories lead to patterns or liturgies, worked out responses in and throughout our lives. Liturgies can be as simple as your weekly trip to the grocery store with careful attention to your preference of which grocery store you go to and which brands earn your hard-earned money. That's why marketing knows more than maybe any other profession that stories matter. Liturgies can be as important as the rhythm and routine your family adopts to get through the week, the methods you use to raise your children, Liturgies can be as grand as the rituals that we use to connect with the transcendent, the divine. This is why worship, for us as Christians, is the single most important thing that we do. We return time and time again to the ancient established pattern of Christian worship as a way to retell and reenact 
the drama, the story of Jesus. As St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 about our most central worship practice, the table, Holy Communion, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in so doing, we are reminded week in, week out of God's great love for us and our hearts and our desires are reformed again after the heart and desire of God and Christ for us. Worship is more than an obligation. It's more than the burden of something we have to do on Sunday mornings. Worship is where we encounter God. And the goal is to leave worship changed, reformed, sent out to live out the story of God's love in our daily lives. And so the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we pass down to our children, do matter. Our gospel reading for the day makes this clear in a roundabout way. In this parable that we have before us today from Matthew chapter 20, different workers are invited into the vineyard to work at different points in the day. This was a common ancient practice. Day laborers would go to the marketplace and workers would come and grab people to work in their vineyards or fields. Now, some of the workers are recruited right at daybreak, more at 9 a.m. and more again at noon and 3 and even, yes, at 5 p.m. Now, when pay time came, all of these workers were given the exact same wage. And as you might begin to expect, the workers that had been there from the beginning had questions. They felt they earned more. They expected this because they were operating under an all-too-persuasive narrative that, as we might put it today, the early bird gets the worm. That the more you work, and that the harder you work, the more you are supposed to receive. For these workers, this wasn't how the story was supposed to play out. And still today, for many of us reading this parable, we operate with that same narrative in mind. I think this continues to be one of the most enduringly frustrating parables because, simply put, this isn't what the story we operate with in our daily lives teaches us. The hard truth of this passage is that God's grace, especially under our human standards and our human stories, isn't fair. And it's all too easy to become like those early workers, to become envious that God is generous. We are tempted to protest God's grace instead of celebrating it. When we do so, we reveal which story we are really trying to live into. And it's not God's. Instead, it's usually the celebration of ourselves as God and of our work as divine and meritorious. And as a result, when we do so, our hearts, they harden and we can miss out on the kingdom. So another one of the truths that this parable highlights is that we humans are always going to exist in a marketplace of narratives. Look no further than your streaming options on the hub of your smart TV. 
There are always going to be competing stories and interpretations and resulting liturgies or patterns of worship that vie for our hearts, that at best distract us from God's grace, that at worst cause us to miss out on the kingdom entirely. And so thanks be to God that Jesus' preferred teaching method is the parable. Parables are intentionally designed to expose our allegiances and to break the grip that those stories can have on our hearts. Part of what parables are designed to do is to make us question their meaning, to turn them over time and time again. This is why we return to them, why we return to Scripture week in and week out, both to remind ourselves of what God's kingdom is like, sure, but also to realign our hearts and our desires after God's heart. The kingdom of God teaches us a different story, and it is one of a great reversal. God's story flips our stories, and the way we think things should go on our heads. In God's kingdom, the last will be first, and the first will be last. In God's kingdom, there is grace for all, no matter when you are introduced to the story, no matter what you have or have not done. As the parable reminds us, this all, all of it, belongs to God. And God is free to choose to do whatever God wants with it. And so we, in the meantime, can take heart in the promises of God, in the testament of God's generosity, in the faithful pattern of God's redeeming love that is echoed time and time again throughout the scriptures. And so all of this brings me back to worship. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be moving through a sermon series on our core values at St. John's. As we continue both in this interim time between senior pastors and through our annual stewardship season, it's important to think about our DNA, about who we are and what we value, about what story we are telling and how we are telling it. Worship is the most important thing we do as Christians. I'll say it again. And our Christian liturgy that we practice has been passed down through the ages as a faithful pattern that invites us into the story of God's love. And more importantly, it reorients us to that story when we more often than not so desperately need it. We glorify God through our worship, sure, but maybe more importantly, through that same worship, God both centers us in that story and challenges us to live accordingly. Our worship orients and reorients us to that story of God's great love expressed in word, played out at the table in sacrament, most fully revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. It's only through our worship that we come to embody what St. Paul says in our first reading, that we proclaim the Lord's victorious and redeeming death until he comes. Now, this is an aside, and I may be biased, 
but I'm so grateful to be called to a congregation like St. John's that values such a strong commitment to the ancient traditions of the church, yes, and also to their expression in contemporary forms. A place that knows, a church family that knows that telling the story matters and invest in our worship accordingly. So as we close today, as we continue on in this stewardship season, I invite you to examine your hearts. One of the ways we can do this is just to review our own stories, to remember where we have been, to consider where we are right now, and to project with maybe a strong dose of humility and honesty where we might be heading. In doing so, the stories that lead and guide our hearts are going to be clearly exposed. Just think about where you spend your time and energy and resources. When those stories don't align with this great reversal of God's grace that we find in this parable and throughout the scriptures, we might need to begin a new chapter. For many of us, as we self-examine, we're going to remember the grace of God at work in our lives, disrupting, reorienting us when we are led astray by those other narratives. But the good news of the gospel is that for all of us, we can rest confident that no matter where we find ourselves in our story, that much like those workers in the vineyard, that God continues to offer an invitation into the great story and into the great work of God's love. That's why our worship matters. Amen.